Consequence Podcast Network. This is where a bit would normally go, but fuck it. Welcome to TV Party. I'm Allison Shoemaker, senior writer with Consequence of Sound. And Clint's not here this week. Instead, I am joined for a very special TV Party episode by Time Out Chicago's Chris Vire. Hi, Chris. Hey, Allison. Uh, uh, we are pals outside of this. Um, so normally when we talk about musical theater, we've had four beers. and Yes, are just, only three right now. Yeah, it's only three. We just we did shots, but it's going to take a while for those to kick in. <laughs> um, so it's going to be really exciting to talk about this like actual people instead of like drunk friends. I'm totally <laughs> stoked. Uh, I was telling Chris before we started recording, I was really ready to savagely roast the live NBC Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, yeah. And then it was really pretty good. Like, what, what happened? I know. It's, it's <laughs> nuts. Before we get into it, Chris, do you want to tell people where they can find you on the internet if they want to pester you for your opinions about other things? Yeah. Oh, please. Pester away. Uh, you can find my writing about uh, theater in Chicago and lots of other stuff at Timeout Chicago. At, that's timeout.com slash Chicago. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and all the other things at Chris Vire, K-R-I-S-V-I-R-E. I can personally vouch for the excellence of his Twitter feed. It's real good and often about musical theater. So normally we would do like a, hey, what are you watching right now? Blah, blah, blah. Let's ask these questions about this thing and the other. And instead, we're just going to talk about this. So I sort of already know because we chat about it a little beforehand. But what did you think of NBC's Jesus Christ Superstar in concert? That was in quotation marks <laughs> live. Yeah, well, it's so many qualifiers on the end of that title, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it somehow worked. I, uh, you know, like like we said, I, I was not anticipating great things from this. Uh, I think as a rule, even though NBC kind of got the party started on this live musical trend, they have not been the ones to do the best job mm-hmm. uh, so far. Um, and... Even at the beginning of the show last night, I was a little nervous because there were a lot of really quick cut cuts that uh, seemed to like uh, make make it a little confusing. JCS is not the easiest show to follow anyway, if you aren't already (laughs) familiar with it. Uh, And the the live audience threw me off at first. Like Mm -hmm. every time there was a reverse angle shot and you just saw like these normies behind John Legend, (laughs) I was just like, what's what's happening? Uh, But I have to say the audience really won me over in the end. I think that uh, that uh, NBC has learned some lessons from their their past efforts here and uh, from some of the other networks that have tried this. And the audience uh, and and the sort of concert conceit uh, really made this work in a way that, you know, the sound of music did not. Yeah. You know, what's funny about the, the concert, again, in quotation marks, mm-hmm. is that I think... I don't know if they just got sold a bill of goods or what, but it feels like someone was like, no, we'll just do it. We'll just do a concert. Like it'll be really loose and hip. And instead it just feel, it ended up feeling like the way that people do theater now, which the yeah. sound of music didn't, which Peter Pan didn't, mm-hmm. which the whiz sort of did, but like the biggest, most expensive touring production of the whiz anyone has ever seen. Yeah. Um, as opposed to like what you would see at a theater in Chicago or in New York or in Los Angeles, where you walk into a big room, room and there's a bunch of cool shit everywhere and they just drape stuff to make it look atmospheric and i think that that really paid off yeah i i I have to wonder if the concert designator was just like trying to get people to think differently about it from Mm. 
what The Wiz was and what Peter Pan and The Sound of Music were, because all of those, and I think The Wiz was more successful than the the prior ones, yes, for sure. Yes, absolutely. But all of those, you know, in watching them, it's like you see a, a scene taking place in some kind of uh, anonymous box of a soundstage uh, with, you know, obviously no audience, no uh, context, no, uh, you know, clear uh, uh, transitions from one scene to the next. And Jesus Christ Superstar was absolutely fully staged. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, uh, I, I think the, the, the concert uh, attribute kind of just plays into the show's history as a rock opera. You know, originally it was done as a concept album before it was ever staged. And uh, you would go into it uh, with liner notes to follow along, which could have been helpful last night, too. I totally pulled up the Wikipedia page <laughs> <too>. just, to, <laughs> yep. just to make sure I was tracking the plot. And I know this show well. Yeah, I was uh, trying to figure out what, if anything, got cut, what, if anything, got added mm-hmm. in um, because it just and it moved a lot. But I think they're aided by the fact that, um, you know, such a huge percentage of the United States is Christian. So to a certain extent, like, you know, that's Judas, that's Jesus, Mm -hmm. that's Mary Magdalene. Okay, got it. And I'll just (laughs) kind of feel it out from there. But even without that, I think the acting was so good, surprisingly good in Mm -hmm. some cases that I feel like even when I wasn't totally sure what the hell was going on. And again, I know this show really well. um, (laughs) I was able to follow the emotional trajectory of it. And I expected it I expected the singing to be great. I did not necessarily expect the acting to be great. And I honestly think pretty much everybody was great. I'm not surprised by Brandon Victor Dixon, who yeah, played no. Judas, uh, but who is probably a completely unknown quantity to most of the people who tuned in last night. He is a Broadway guy, Tony nominee for Shuffle Along. He has been in the cast of Hamilton recently uh, and is as we all now know, an incredibly talented dude. Yeah. Um, and really kind of walked away with the whole thing last night, mm-hmm. uh, if if anyone did. Um, Sarah Bareilles, I was really impressed with as well. She has like the most delightful voice, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess I knew because I've actually seen her in, in concert. But, uh, you know, she recently made her Broadway debut in her own show that she wrote, uh, The Musical <laughs> Waitress. Uh, but... Apart from that, I don't know that she has a lot of like acting credits, uh, and I thought she handled herself really well and gave Mary Magdalene a lot of uh, kind of depth and complexity, more so than is often the case in this yeah. show. I liked I Don't Know How to Love Him more than I have ever liked it before mm. because I hate that song. I hate that song, and I ju- there was something about her approach to it that I found really winning. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a big Sarah Bareilles fan. So I was less surprised, but I thought she was just terrific. Well, and you know what I think really made that number for me more, I mean, even above and beyond just her performance, which I think was terrific, but that felt to me like the first time the cameras kind of settled down in the show and just let her be still and, you know, zoom in close up on her face, let her, you know, convey that emotion, let it read and let it breathe. Uh, and, that's the moment where, for me as a, as a viewer, I was like, oh, okay, I'm totally invested now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it kept me uh, with the show for the rest, of the, the rest of the time. I think that the second act, uh, you know, post, um, post-betrayal uh, worked a lot better for me than the first half. Yeah, and I still liked the first half. Mm-hmm. But it felt, I, I have a similar feeling 
about the second half of the show. And in part, it's because the cameras really calm down because yeah. every scene I'm thinking of where I really remember what it looked like and not what it felt like came in that second half, mm-hmm. um, especially the beginning. It was like, I just want to watch Brandon Victor Dixon. And instead it would be like shot of a random chorus person, shot of a random chorus person. Here's 10 seconds of Judas. And then here's another 10 seconds of people jumping around, waving things. And, and here's these lot. badass uh, violin players. And let's, you know, pan to the scaffolding. And here's the dude spraying Jesus in paint. <laughs> Uh, which, like, I'd say that moment uh, did not make me feel great about what was to come. But no, it was it was uh, it was really excellent. What did you think of uh, John Legend in the acting department? You know, that's and this is actually where I was headed because it felt to me as I was watching it, and admittedly, some of this I think comes. I watched a really brief video of him rehearsing Gethsemane, mm-hmm. and it was all about him getting to that note, and you could see him getting to the note and him getting more and more nervous as he was singing it. So uh-huh. I just went into it in my head thinking oh man, John Legend's really nervous about that song. Understandably, it's really, really hard. And I, I think he did a great job acting-wise throughout, but the second he was halfway through that song and he put down that stupid wine bottle he was holding for no reason. <laughs> yeah. And once he put down the wine bottle, because it was past that note, it, he just seemed totally dropped in. I was really surprised by how much I liked his performance. I expected him to sound amazing because he's an amazing voice. And I expected him to look amazing because he is a very good-looking gentleman. He is a pleasure to take in visually. Yes, yes indeed. And orally. Uh, orally. Thank you. <laughs> Um, keeping it. We're keeping it. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I thought his acting was, uh, was really fine. Let's be honest. Jesus is the title role, but not the meatiest role in this show, right. uh, by a long run. And he's uh, not maybe the widest ranged of actors. Uh, it, it, he did tend to sort of default to, uh, and I apologize to whoever said this first when I read it earlier today, but to a, a look of John Legend is worried. Um, (laughs) Or Glaren Point. He did a lot of Glaren Point, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I really was taken with the way that he sung the role, which Mm -hmm. is uh, a departure from your Ted Neely yell uh, or... Sebastian Bach. That's who I saw doing. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Lucky you. You know, honestly, he was great. Uh, (laughs) He he really was great. And he, at the time, it was when I was in college, and... um, I had friends who were working on the backstage crew, like they hired their day players from the theater students at my school. And um, he hung a sign on his dressing room drawer that dressing room door that said Skid Row Rules. (laughs) And for that alone, I will love him forever. Um, But he was pretty good. He wasn't mind blowing. But yeah, I agree. It's very different from how we've heard it in the past. Mm -hmm. And I thought it worked really well. Um, And I love it when you can see a singer connecting with the music in their body and like the actual experience of producing those sounds as a part of their emotional experience. And he did a really nice job with that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought basically everything from Gethsemane on from him, it wasn't um, like, I don't think he's going to snap up another Oscar in the acting department anytime soon, but um, he did exactly what he needed to do. And I found the last 20 minutes or so very moving. The, the last 20 minutes, let's talk about that a little more, because yes. if I wasn't already won over, and I pretty much was by the time we got to uh, Judas's death and everything that came thereafter, the, the last 15 minutes, I went back immediately after the curtain call and like rewound my DVR, watched that segment like all the way through over again and then again. The title number uh, from Brandon Victor Dixon as Judas uh, singing Jesus Christ Superstar, the, I, I mean, the way that was staged, talk about a, a showstopper. Yeah. And 
what a delightful outfit uh, he has as well. I guess if <laughs> the road to hell is paved with good intentions, the road from hell is paved with bedazzlers. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you really, if, if he hadn't uh, won over America before that point in the show, like, I don't know what else he could have done. He laid it all out there in that number. And then that incredible moment of stagecraft at the end. Yeah. Uh, when John Legend as Jesus is strapped to the cross and... The, I mean, I can we talk about fucking goosebumps just thinking about it? Can, can we just talk for a second as people who come from the theater world or have a background in the theater world about like the incredible degree of difficulty in like stage rigging that is required to make that happen with <laughs> <laughs> like, like counterweight on counterweight on counterweight. <laughs> I still don't really know how they did it. Like I was trying to explain to my boyfriend last night just how amazing that was. And he was just like, yeah, that's really cool. No, I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand <laughs> how hard that was. <laughs> totally. And, and it's, and it was, uh, picked up by the camera so well, like mm-hmm. the, the, just the, the, the real synchronicity of, uh, the, uh, the stage direction and the TV direction. Yeah. And that those final moments. Was yeah. That's really incredible. David Laveau on the stage direction and mm-hmm. Alex Rudzinski on the TV direction. But yeah, a perfect marriage of scenic design, lighting design, stagecraft like rigging wire work mm-hmm. um presumably lots and lots of safety people like i don't know what i cannot imagine the safeguards they put in place to make sure he was safe when he was doing that yeah and then that just like the beautiful camera work because as it i mean it would have been beautiful no matter what but the way that the camera backed out so that he as he was receding away from us we were moving away from him mm-hmm. so that he basically got swallowed by that bright white light they had in the background it was just gorgeous i couldn't believe first of all when the first half of the set started to raise with him i was like that's really cool but when it split i was like oh shit <laughs> shut it down what the hell i can't even believe this is happening um yeah, I couldn't believe. But I also really loved in Judas's death scene how simple that was, that he took the, I don't know, scarves. Everybody was wearing mm-hmm. a, a very stretchy tank top, like a loose baggy tank top and tight fitting pants and lots of scarves and cardigans. So it was like a pile of cardigans or something yeah. that he used to form the noose and then just running up that scaffolding. And then the just simple gesture of having the ladder fall rather than doing something as on the nose as seeing a body fall mm-hmm. or anything like that. I thought that, I mean, that just gave me chills. Yeah. And, and you have to wonder, uh, I know I saw some people in my Twitter feed wondering if that was, you know, a, a decision that was informed by NBC standards and practices or, uh, or just by, you know, good taste of not actually depicting, you know, the, the body. Uh, but it was such an effective uh, bit of like, of, of misdirection almost just mm-hmm. to have that take place mostly off camera and, and then just fade to black uh, to one of the many, many, many commercial breaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there were so many, it's a, you can it's really hard to go p- to pivot from crucifixion to like autotrader.com or whatever it was yeah. that came next. But um, I think for the most part, I at least was helped by the backstage feed mm-hmm. that was airing. Like, that was kind of a cool touch, and it helped me sort of stay tapped into it. I think it also really helped that JCS doesn't really have a book, per right. se, um, which I guess I didn't so much mind the actual scene work in The Wiz, but for the most part, 
the where the Sound of Music and Peter Pan and Hairspray and Grace Live mm-hmm. and whichever ones I'm forgetting all sort of fell flat for me was in the when they stopped singing. I think that it, the fact that it was sung through helped a lot. I totally agree. Uh, it, it did feel a little bit like uh, the the breaks just kind of just interrupted the energy. I don't think for the performers, but for me as a mm-hmm. watcher and, uh, and, and we couldn't help wondering, of course, what it was like for the people in the live audience during all those commercial breaks. Like, you know, we, we got to see a little bit of, uh, of what the actors were doing backstage and running around and, 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 you know, getting recostumed and that was all fun. But like, you know, those, those poor girls in their leather jackets in the front row <laughs> where they just like, uh, well, okay, two more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I hope at least, I'm, that band was great. Yeah. So I'm hoping at least they got some great music. And I don't know, maybe there was a beer vendor. It felt to <laughs> me like it was a Cubs game or something, or like seeing Beyonce, where you should, in theory, be able to be like, hey, can I have another Miller Lite over here or something? Yeah, yeah. One hopes. Probably not, but one hopes. Uh, we haven't talked about Alice Cooper at all. We have not. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I, I have to say Alice Cooper was the mm, one uh, sort of down note for me. I, I, I didn't think he did a terrible job, but that was, apart from the commercial breaks, the biggest energy suck uh, mm-hmm. of the evening was uh, his King Herod number. Uh, it just it felt uh, very tentative to me. You could catch his eyes sort of uh, glancing off stage a couple of times, and I almost wondered if he had like SNL style cue cards or something yeah. because uh, he just was didn't really seem to be in the moment in the way that everybody else on stage was. Um, you know, I thought it was a, a nice gesture. It was sort of nice stunt casting, but uh, it, it annoyed me after the fact that he got. Uh, you know, sort of top star billing over Brandon Victor Dixon. Yeah, I agree. I think I, the costuming was great. I mean, we haven't talked about the costuming at all. Oh, his David S. Pumpkins outfit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry for the pop on the mic, but that's that's exactly what it was. <laughs> it's just, and it's part of it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it felt. I think of that number as being so um, Billy Flynn mm-hmm. that I was expecting it to be a little more high energy, and the chorus girls were very high energy. But he yeah. was. It was pretty subdued. I mean, that number I think is meant to be kind of an attempt at comic relief, mm-hmm. or or at least tension break. Uh, you know, between the arrest and the crucifixion, and it felt like. Uh, I don't know, just something to get through. Yeah. I saw um, Matt Zoller's sites on Twitter suggested mm-hmm. that it should have been Alan Cumming. And then I just fell madly in love with that idea. <sighs> right? You yeah. you can't hear this, although you might be able to sense it. Chris just grasped his breast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I saw someone else suggest Lady Gaga, which does not really work for me so much. I think mm. interesting to pick somebody who's outside an outsized performer like that. But her um, American Horror Story stints have have not been the most emotive uh-huh. um, pieces of acting. So I don't know. Any other ideas who that might have been? I'm putting you on the spot here. Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, certainly there are lots of great theater options, but yeah, um, um, I was trying to think of like an Alice Cooper-esque figure who could have done it. Ah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, 
You can tell us. If yeah. you come up with something, people listening at home, find me and Chris on Twitter and make your suggestions. Um, I have a question for you. Mm. Uh, as a person who does not often get to travel to New York, I had basically no exposure to Jason Tam. Oh. I've heard a great deal about how excellent he is, but this was really my first time seeing him in anything. Have you been able to see him in anything? Uh, I I have not actually been able to see him in anything live. Uh Although he has, you know, a, a distinguished career on stage in New York, uh, but I do have uh, a, a confession to make about that's going to tell you more than you need to know about me. Uh, <laughs> I first encountered Jason Tam uh, when he was uh, a teenage actor on One Life to Live in the nineties. Uh, I'm learning so much about you right now. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I think his character's name was Marco with two K's. Um, and <laughs> I, I was instantly infatuated. Uh, but beyond that, uh, he also, uh, as you may know, uh, I don't know if you've seen the documentary Every Little Step, which is a, a documentary film about the casting process for the revival of a chorus line on Broadway, uh, which was back in like 2006. There's a really terrific documentary uh, that follows uh, a bunch of uh, performers through that audition process and through the casting process. And Jason Tam was one of them. He, I believe, uh, did go on to be cast on the show, but he, the, the film captures this, uh, his audition where he goes in and, and reads, uh, a monologue, uh, from the show in, 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 in such a way in a rehearsal room with just for people behind a table and everyone in the room is like openly weeping at the end of this two minute <laughs> monologue. Uh, if you want to fall further in love with Jason Tam, <laughs> seek out every little step. Well, I have to do that, and I do. Um, so there are sort of two other big names we haven't really talked about. Mm -hmm. One is Norm Lewis, mm -hmm. um, who probably to a lot of people is best known as being the guy that Olivia Pope dumped on Scandal. Sure. Um, but who has a distinguished career outside of Shondaland, <laughs> um, who played Caiaphas. And Ben Daniels of Rogue One fame, among many other things. Um, House of Cards, some other things, who mm -hmm. played Pontius Pilate. Um, and I thought they were both pretty great. What did you think of those two? Yeah, I agree. I uh, I, I know Norm Lewis from his uh, sort of extensive uh, stage resume. You know, he he just recently was uh, playing the title role in uh, Sweeney Todd in the off-Broadway production that's been running oh, for a while sick. now. sick. I didn't know that. That's amazing. <sighs> yeah. Think I about that for a while. God, well, I will. Now, <laughs> I mean, I was already hoping that somebody was going to get the balls to do Sweeney Todd as an as a live NBC Fox whatever jam, uh -huh. and now he might be my dream casting for that, especially because he killed it so hard. My I think my first exposure to Norm Lewis was in one of the concert versions of Les Mis, one of the many many concert versions of Les Mis. Sure, when he played Javert, um, the best part, <laughs> um, and his coat. Jesus, I want one. Oh my gosh, uh, yeah, the, those the Caiaphas and the priests. I, I think I described those coats in the moment last night as like uh, Arcturix outfits for Dementors, uh, <laughs> and I will absolutely uh, have one sent to my home address. Yes, uh, please. Anyone's listening, um, <laughs> Ben Daniels. I actually was pretty unfamiliar with. Uh, I know he's got. I know now that he has a, an extensive uh, like British stage history, uh, in addition to you know House of Cards, Rogue One, like you said. Uh, quite a bit of TV, actually. Mm -hmm. um, but I, he was one who I could not place and had to look up. But uh, I thought he gave a really interesting performance as pilot. It, one that actually grew on me. I think. I think the the scene uh, with the thirty nine lashes. 
uh, he had a really interesting transformation. I think you could you could sort of see Pilot coming to uh, this sort of disgust with himself and what he had to do, mm-hmm. uh, which he is able to convey with you know not really any lines or uh, or, or or material there. Yeah, just counting, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, the moment I loved of his was, um, uh, it's in one of the, it's, I think in his first conversation with Jesus, conversation, interrogation, I guess is the better word, where I swear to God, it looked like he was Vanessa Vangie Mateo in the season premiere of RuPaul's Drag Race. He got on the floor and was like crouched, but was literally like turning his head. That I just faded in now because I turned my head. Turning his head with his hand. And it was very like first time in drags at a ball. There was something about it that it was just, he was serving. And you add in that coat and that gold shirt. And it was, he was like serving pilot, oh my God. Um, which was wild, but I just kind of loved it. And I, it made me start thinking about, um, politicians and image maintenance and all of this shit. And I wasn't expecting to be intellectually challenged <laughs> when I was watching Jesus Christ Superstar Live. Um, but yeah, I thought that he was really great. Yeah. All I can think of now is Miss Pontius. Miss Pontius. <laughs> Miss Pontius. <laughs> Are you up to date on Drag Race? Yeah. Okay. That moment in the most recent episode when they showed Michelle just say Miss Vangie over and over mm-hmm. and over to RuPaul is one of my favorite moments of TV over the year. <laughs> When she's trying not to laugh and just goes, you better stop. It just, <laughs> oh, maybe we're going to have to real quick touch on drag base before we actually leave. Um, is there anybody else in the cast that really stuck out to you? It was a relatively, well, actually it was a huge ensemble, but um, not a, there's not a much, there's not a ton in the way of supporting roles outside of the people we've already talked about. Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, it was obviously a huge number of people on, on stage in that ensemble, but uh, there are really only the handful of named characters in Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, I, I did notice a couple of people I recognized. Uh, uh, an actor named Abby Corrigan was in the ensemble, uh, who I saw like not long ago in uh, the touring production of Fun Home as Medium Allison. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, Michael Kilgore, who's... Uh, an actor with some Chicago connections uh, and who has a long history with Jesus Christ Superstar actually was in the ensemble as well. And uh, for those of you in Chicago, he's going to be in the cast of the Lyric Opera's production at the end of this month, too. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, that was jarring to see an ad for Jesus Christ Superstar in the middle of a live version of Jesus Christ <laughs> Superstar. I mean, like props to the Lyric for their ad buying department. Yeah. That was really smart, um, but it was pretty jarring. Well, it was jarring, too, to see so many... Uh, TV ads for other Broadway shows, which we don't generally see outside of New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, if you're watching local TV in, in New York City, like they're on all the time. But, you know, I'm not used to seeing commercials for Wicked and yeah. Jersey Boys. Uh, yeah. So it was interesting. Um, I, I, I'd be curious to know. I don't know if there's any way to ever actually get these numbers. But like how many of the people t- who tuned in last night had prior familiarity with the show uh, mm-hmm. or how many were just tuning in uh, just, you know, out of curiosity. Yeah. I think there's a certain amount of, of like hoping it's a disaster watching that mm-hmm. happens with these things. Um, and I'm sure that some of it was, I mean, John Legend has his own fan base. Sarah Bareilles has her own fan base. 
Um, I assume that most Sarah Bareilles fans at this point have at least some knowledge of musical theater since she's made that transition probably isn't the right word, but since she's added that sort of to her portfolio. Corner of the world. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, corner I, of the sky. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know that Alice Cooper fans were like, well, we have to watch this, but you never know. Eh? Yeah, I would also be curious about that. So we had one question from uh, somebody who reached out on Twitter beforehand. And then I have a question for you in general. And mm-hmm. maybe let's just start uh, there. Um, what do you want to see them do? I already sort of mentioned my little daydream of Halloween, Sweeney, Halloweeny Todd. Uh-huh. <laughs> Gross. Um, but what do you think? Like, do you have thoughts? Uh yeah, I mean, I, I think that you're on the right track there. Um, I, I think, you know, the the consensus seems to be that Jesus Christ Superstar was the best of the crop of these live musical events that we've I seen in the last so. five years. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I just happened to see uh, just earlier today on uh, Rotten Tomatoes uh, that it has a 100% fresh rating so far from like 19 reviews that they've accumulated. So I guess my hope is that this will free the powers that be up to think a little more outside of the family-friendly box uh, for future projects. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, you know, obviously the trend started with with uh, Sound of Music, Peter Pan, we've done Grease, we've had The Wiz. Jesus Christ Superstar is a little darker, a little, you know, certainly not uh, as, like, super weird and psychedelic uh, in this concert version last night as, say, the movie is. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've ever seen that movie, it's a little weird. <laughs> it is very weird. Uh, it's out there. But, you know, hopefully this will demonstrate that, you know, the audience for these things doesn't just have to be, like, you know, families with young kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that maybe we can do things more like Sweeney Todd or more like, um, I don't know, Little Shop would be a great one. <gasps> Uh, I know that uh, Rent is already in the works, uh, which my 18-year-old self is very excited about. Um, <laughs> but your adult self? My adult self a little less, so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, Same. You know, I would love someday to see uh, a, a live TV version of Natasha and Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, <sighs> even though nobody is really familiar with that title yeah. <laughs> outside of people like us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, a girl can dream. You never yeah. know. Probably not. Um, I second that little shop suggestion. Mm -hmm. Uh, I even think they could just go off the concert version that was that a couple of years ago at this point where it was Jake Gyllenhaal and Ellen Green. Yeah. Um, Because, man, that would be amazing. Uh, That would just be amazing. So just do that. That's awesome. Please do that. Otherwise, like, I don't know, I guess Jeremy Jordan, but he's kind of too cool to be Seymour. Yeah, I yeah. feel like Seymour needs to. Not that Jake Gyllenhaal isn't cool, but he's get you know, like a different thing yeah. going. But you know, I think it's also true that now we've seen this sort of concert style style quote air quotes around that uh, staging work here. That you know maybe that can free up uh, some more ambitious kinds of musicals in terms of the, the kinds of things you wouldn't normally try to stage on live television mm-hmm. on a soundstage. If we can just present them concert style, like the the encores musical series yeah. does in New York, um, you know, do do something like do Sunday in the Park with George, oh. please. Speaking of Jake Gyllenhaal, yeah, uh, he can God, come back I for wish. that. Um, and uh, and don't worry so much about the big set pieces or you know shuffling from one location to another like Greece. 
Although I, did, I would think Greece is probably maybe not quite second for me in the, if I were, I haven't loved any of them really. Mm-hmm. Um, I've loved things about all of them. That girl that they had playing Dorothy and the Wiz was just like the brightest ray of sunshine. Oh yeah. Um, and there were some moments of hairspray that I thought were good and um, some aspects of Grease Live that I thought were good. I think what Grease Live did successfully that is similar to what Jesus Christ Superstar did is they made the fact that it's live a part of the show. Yeah. It really felt like it's not it's not what you would see on stage, but it, they also weren't pretending like it was just a television show and there wasn't an audience there. Like it was a very like living, breathing thing. And I think that that's what Jesus Christ Superstar did too, in a very different way, obviously, as opposed to shuffling locations and making that a part of the experience. They just made the audience a part of the experience. When that, when the audience got me, I wish that they had been more prepared for all the whooping with the sound mixing, because I did have a hard time hearing some things. Yeah. But when the audience got me is when Jesus came out and Judas was doing the opener and John Legend was like grabbing people's hands like he would on a red carpet or at a concert. But yeah. then it was suddenly part of a story. So those people were the people who were reaching out to try to touch Jesus. Um, I thought that was really, really cool. I'm into all of those suggestions, basically. <laughs> uh, I cannot imagine a world where we'll get a live Sunday in the park with George. But God, I would be really I'm going to keep hoping. Yeah. We can dream. Uh, so Ben asked us on Twitter, do you think that this performance set a new standard for the live format? Also, what trends do you think will come out of it? I, I definitely would say that it set a new high bar. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm probably with you in that Greece is my second favorite now of the ones I've seen, and I haven't seen everything. I have to say I had uh, a Christmas story live sitting on my DVR for three months, and I finally just deleted it. <laughs> I forgot that even happened. Yeah, well, there you go. Whoops. <laughs> uh, but But I have seen most of them, and I think that for the reasons you just touched on, Greece and Jesus Christ Superstar now are the ones that have felt the most exciting and the most like theater. I mm-hmm. mean, I think the ones that have been done just on on sound stages and with no live audience have a, a kind of hollowness to them, uh, no matter how great the performances within them are. They don't feel like TV and they don't feel like uh, like live theater and they don't really feel like an event. But the... The, the sort of uh, increased difficulty, I guess, in, that the the creators of both the Grease broadcast and the Jesus Christ Superstar broadcast imposed upon themselves really made it feel like an event uh, in a way that the others just felt like a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I hope that, that that in whatever form these next ones take, that that kind of electricity uh, can continue to be incorporated. That just made me. It just made me think that Billy Elliot would be another good one to do live. Ooh, electricity! Um, electricity! I am not the person to answer this question. If you are not, I'm gonna have Clint edit in and answer for somebody else here because there is actually the perfect person in our little radar to answer this. Mm-hmm. Um, Lance Baker says, "Lin Manuel." Sorry, I just had to fan myself. Internet boyfriend Ra- <laughs> raved about the orchestration change in Gethsemane, so you could geek out a bit on that. Did you notice an orchestration change? I did not. I just wasn't listening for it. I was too worried about that note. Uh, I really wanted him to make it, and that was pretty much what I was focused on. Yeah, that and being very confused by that wine bottle. <laughs> uh, I am probably not the person to answer that question either. I was so focused on the vocals. Mm-hmm. I guess I didn't really pay much attention to as much attention to the orchestration. Uh, I, I was going back and listening to today to the 
the actual recording that they did because they are releasing a studio soundtrack with this cast. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, I am into that. Yeah, um, and so that was that was pre-recorded, the studio version, of course. Um, and you know, you can certainly hear the difference between uh, the studio version and the live version last night. But I, I'm probably not quite enough of a musician to have been able to pick up on. Uh, orchestration changes. So I'm curious now. I'm going to have to go listen to other versions and see what I hear. I am too. I'm also going to ask Kate Kulsik, a TV critic who appears on TV Party a lot and who does a lot of writing about uh, orchestration and musical arrangements on television to weigh in. So assuming she says yes, you'll hear that now. Hey, Kate, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So as I told you, when I texted you about this, like, I don't know, an hour ago or whenever it was, um, we had a question for our little bonus episode on Jesus Christ Superstar that neither Chris nor I felt particularly up to answering. And I thought that we might call in the person who tends to be the authority on such things for us to talk about the orchestration in Gethsemane. Um, so I know since we had that exchange, you've listened to a little bit. Do you have some thoughts for Mr. Lance Baker, who inquired on Twitter? Yes. Well, first, let me just caveat. Thank you for the the very generous introduction. I do normally know music things because I'm a musician, but I'm not super familiar with Jesus Christ Superstar, the uh, the show and the concept album and all that stuff. So caveat, caveat, I'm not... I'm not as confident on this one as I would be on, say, Evita, which I would have all of the thoughts on. So um, having listened to several different versions and then like re-listened to the the legend um, performance and take uh, a few times, the main things that stick out to me about the orchestration um, are to match with legend's vocal style and range. Um, they brought the strings forward and dialed back the rock elements a bit in the middle section. Um, there's a few other, like, of course, I, I'm a violinist, so I was noticing new things in the string section that at least you don't hear in the other mixes, but I'm sure there are other several other changes as well. The, um, the drums are a lot less forward. Um, the guitar is a lot less heavy. It, it just goes to match his timbre. Um, if you watch some of the or listen to different performers, they'll you know they pretty much all have their own take. Uh, somebody like Steve Balsamo like just rocks out hardcore, goes really big on all the high stuff because like that's that's his range. He has a higher range, um, and so he can stand up. His voice can stand up to like the super heavy guitar shredding like rock sound. For uh, Legend, they wanted to go more orchestral and they wanted to go softer um so that when he goes into his high head voice um it 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 matches and it doesn't he doesn't feel blown out by the background music and that's such a delicate moment in the show and in his performance as well that they wanted to change that up at least that's my that's what i'm hearing when mm -hmm. i listen to it what, what did you notice what stood out to you you know, I had a similar reaction, and Chris and I talked about this a little bit when we spoke, so for people listening, they'll think, oh, that was 45 seconds ago, but for me, it was like <laughs> two, two hours ago, um, is I was so struck by how different his vocal approach was that it was really hard for me to notice anything else. Um, and my ear is nowhere near as good as yours, but it felt like a much um, softer, more introspective take, and that, to me, was reflected in the music as well. Um, I just really loved hearing uh, such a different 
version of this song vocally. It, I, I realized as I was talking to Chris about it, I've never heard somebody sing that. I've heard a lot of renditions of this song and I've never heard somebody sing it like that. Yeah. The, he really sings the lower stuff in a way that a lot of people kind of really speak the beginning of the song. Um, and, and you know, that, that at least to me, legend is much more, uh, like it's, it's, it's a warmer, darker, smoother sound in the, the, at the beginning when he's a little, you know, lower and more comfortable in his range, the orchestration, the way that they, you know, like bring certain instruments up and certain instruments back really enjoys that. And, hangs out in that space and that sound you know like when he gets to the more have to know have to know that's when the guitar comes more forward that's when the rock elements come back in when he you know when, when it goes bigger again when he's standing and he's angry again that's when the rock elements come back in as well but it, it just it, it also i think matches with the way they brought the instruments you know forward in this as far as like having the string quartet electric string quartet on stage at the beginning and then bringing them back with their acoustic instruments towards the end of the production and showing the guitars and everything like it felt like a more developed and fleshed out sound uh, mm-hmm. normally it's very very rock forward and the, the other instruments are all there don't get me wrong but this felt more in the broadway tradition than in the rock tradition. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Um, while we have you, because, you know, this is amazing. I, I, you and I have talked about a lot of this stuff because we furiously texted yesterday evening. <laughs> um, but is the, do you have any other thoughts about the show musically or in general that, that you want to mention? Anything we haven't talked about since we were furiously texting last night? I'll just plug that I'm going to talk about it over the Televerse which is my TV podcast that I do. So you guys can check out my full thoughts there because I'm not sure what you guys have already talked about. I look forward to listening uh, for for you and Chris's conversation. I'll just say um, because I'm not as familiar with this show, I was watching it and then uh, my dad came, came over and we started it over about an hour. I was like an hour in and I was like, Hey, do you want to watch? I'll start it over. I was like, they're doing, I was like, I don't know this show. But I think they're fucking nailing it. I think they're crushing it. So I didn't pre- my dad knows the show much better. I've never started watching one of these and then been willing to start over and power through those ridiculous number of commercial breaks again because I was enjoying it so much. So uh, mm. overall, I was very positive on this production. There's that, that episode of, of Angel where Cordy gets her apartment and eventually figure out it's haunted. But one of the things that she loves about her new apartment that makes it so perfect is there's one thing that she needs to change because it's wrong. And once she fixes that, then it'll be perfect. I feel like musical theater people, one of the things we really enjoy is nitpicking like the things that should be a little <laughs> better, right? So that then it would... Yep. So it even gives us that, you know? Like uh, I'm sure there are plenty of people who are, if they weren't wowed by cooper's herod as i was not wowed i thought he did fine i thought he did good but you know i wasn't wowed uh so i've been pondering who i would have cast in that role like it even is fun in that way so i think they they really (laughs) nailed it and yes there are things that i think they could have done much better but um overall i think tens across the board to quote one of our favorite shows Thank you for taking the time to talk to me about this. Um, we will have to do the next time there's a live one. Maybe you and Chris and I can all get together and go 
full nerd. It's very theater nerdy and elsewhere in this audio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this oh. is more of the same. And I will definitely be able to to have strong thoughts about Rent, which I still have memorized from the voicemails all the way, you know, through to the end. So yeah, that's the next one. So maybe for that. Well, Chris, eighteen as Chris put it, eighteen year old Chris is very excited about Rent. Adult Chris is less excited, and I feel <laughs> kind of similarly. Yeah. So maybe we can like have a round table with all of us with our teenage selves and our adult selves reacting to Rent. Anyway, thank you so much, Kate. Thank uh, you. We'll I, you're going to be back on the show a whole bunch um, this month, so people will be hearing from you soon. And yes, go listen to the episode. We'll listen to the Televerse generally; it's amazing. But specifically, the episode they're recording this week, which will feature a big old segment on Jesus Christ star live because if you're still listening at this point obviously you're very interested in live music theater on nbc <laughs> isn't that everybody is right that's like normal i'm normal right oh no i, uh, I think i think we are I think yeah we are. we're that's just gonna go nice. with that we found our tribe anyway <laughs> all right well thank you so much kate thank you thanks future kate <laughs> <laughs> um hopefully she answered that if not i hope that clint just plays yakety sax there or something other than that god is there anything else we haven't really talked about yet costumes were amazing lighting was amazing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um i liked the sort of roving instrumentalists even though it was kind of distracting sometimes yeah yeah i i I sort of appreciated that uh even though i agree with you could be a little distracting that there's suddenly a you know, wandering violin player. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I thought it was a nice demonstration for the TV audience of, you know, just how live this is. Like, none of this is is canned. I, I felt like it gave a really good uh, just kind of visual for the parts of uh, labor that go into a thing like this that you don't always think about as mm. a TV viewer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah that's a great way of putting it. Um, awesome. So before we go, uh, this is the part of the show where we usually talk about the best thing we watched on TV in a given week. We just talked about Jesus Christ Superstar a lot, so we'll skip that. But I'm curious <laughs> if there's anything else you're watching right now, either catching up on or watching live that you're super excited about. No, I have not been watching a lot of live TV lately. What I have been watching a <laughs> well, lot of... you do of- have to watch a zillion plays a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, what I've been watching a lot of lately, actually, is uh, ever since uh, Cougar Town came to Hulu uh, a couple of months ago, I have been watching through the entire series. I'm in the final season now, uh, just a few episodes to go. Uh, and that's a show that I had kind of just caught here and there uh, when it was actually on, uh-huh. first on ABC and then on TBS, uh, and didn't really fully appreciate uh, and and. It turns out, you know, that I, we all remember the jokes probably about the terrible title and how terrible the title was and uh, and how it probably turned off people who should have been watching the show. What it turns out to be is a really terrific ensemble comedy uh, with just a great uh, vibe for the most part among this large, large-ish set of characters and recurring characters, side characters. It's uh, a little absurdist, a lot goofy, uh, <laughs> makes me want to drink more wine than I do. Uh, but I've really been enjoying it. And, uh, I want to thank, uh, past me for not watching it at the time so I can enjoy it now. You said it's on Hulu now. That's right. I guess I missed that. That was, that's great. Um, yeah, I have, n- I haven't finished it. So knowing it's out there for me to finish is lovely. Cause I also really liked that show. Terrible title. Speaking of shows <laughs> that, 
may or may not have terrible titles. This is more like a title that seems terrible, but it's not. Uh, did you see that Crazy Ex-Girlfriend got renewed today? I just saw that on my way here to record mm-hmm. with you, and I'm super excited. I'm so excited. excited. I, uh, apparently, you know, a pretty significant portion of the cast all found out on the same flight to Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, because they're, Rachel is doing her live show here with a bunch of the people in the cast on Wednesday. So they were all like on a plane and turned on Wi-Fi and found out their show got renewed. That's really delightful. I'm just glad that they get, there's always been a four season plan for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So presumably this is the last season and I'm really glad they get to end on their own terms. I, I think Rachel actually uh, termed it the final season, renewed for a fourth and final season. And and I'm glad that they are going to get to play the story out the way that they have planned all along. And it's, it's, you know, I just kind of recently finished watching season three because I was uh, waiting for uh, the waiting for it to come to Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, and it's gone to places I had not expected, <laughs> like <laughs> seriously not expected. Me neither. And uh, and I've been really uh, into it and, and following along on this uh, this roller coaster. But uh, yeah, I can't wait to see how they wrap it up. I am at this point, I'm going to issue a Michael Snydell alert for anyone who has not finished the current season of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So I can ask this one specific question. Uh, How likely do you think it is that this next season opens up with a cell block tango? Uh, Because I think I'm feeling like first two episodes, maybe close to 100 percent likely. I, 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 it's almost like, how could they not? Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess it could be Roxy or like, I can't do it alone or one of the other big Chicago numbers. Um, maybe a Billy Flynn number, but mm. that's not really Scott Michael Foster's bag. Um, but also I don't actually know how legally Nathaniel Plimpton could be representing Rebecca Bunch in that matter since he was the target. <laughs> Um, but whatever, you know, willing Let, let's not get disbelief. too uh, into the details. Let's right leave now. it vague. It's more interesting <laughs> that way. Um, yeah, I think they would kind of have to. Right. Am I am I missing other great musicals about prison? Oh, or that take place in prison? I mean, I guess there are jukebox musicals would have like jailhouse rock and shit, but that doesn't seem like the right thing. No, no. Chicago it is. (laughs) Okay, well, I can't wait. I know she's a Fosse fan, so. All right, well, that is going to do it for us for this little bonus episode. Chris, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Is there anything else you want to plug? No, no. Thanks for having me. Cool. Well, screw you then. Um, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Whatever. It's weird when you wrap it up on your own. Thank you so much for listening. You can find TV Party on Twitter at TV Party COS. You can find us on Facebook at our new Facebook page, facebook.com slash TV Party Podcast. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Allison Shoe. You can find Chris on Twitter at Chris Fire. If you happen to be in Chicago, you can see me with the other fine people of Podlander, Drunkcast, and Outlander Podcast at C2E2 on Friday evening. Please come. It'll be really fun. And if you're at C2E2, just, I don't know, look for me and say hi. That would be cool. Uh, you can leave us a review on iTunes, Podchaser, whatever platform you use. TV Party is a production of the Consequence Podcast Network. Check out our expanding roster of music, film, and television podcast programming at consequenceofsound.net. This show is recorded and produced in Chicago. Illinois, and here recorded by me and engineered by this one dude, Clint Worthington. Thanks to Chris for being here and to you all for listening. Bye. Now I have to stop this. Clint, I hope that wasn't terrible. And if you leave this in, that would be hilarious. Consequence Podcast Network.